Hi, everybody, and welcome to Scottsdale Big Book Study, where we will study the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today is the 15th of July, 2023. My name is Audrey M, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from County Mead in Ireland, and I'll be your host for today's study. Our co-host will be Jotty S and Johan M, and Sue L will be looking after the questions and answers. If you have any questions during the meeting, please contact either myself or the co-host by private message in the chat function. The chat function will be disabled until five minutes before the questions and answers session. Please note that Harlan G will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the questions and answers session which follows will not be recorded. We ask if you can please make sure your microphone is on mute at all times during today's study. And also please turn off your video if you are exercising, eating, or if you need to step away from your screen for any reason. During the meeting, we will post the link to the seven tradition. This money goes towards the cost of the Zoom account, uploading and recording of the, the, the recordings. And we also contribute to Intergroup Arizona Serenity in the Desert and World Service Organization. We will post the link for previous week's recordings that, and they are available by clicking on the link posted in the chat. And I will now hand you over to Harlan G. Thanks, Harlan. Thank you. Thank you very much, Audrey. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here today. Uh, I am melting here. It's going to be 117 today. 100 and, yeah, 100, no, 115. Sorry, it's going to be about 115 degrees here today. So I hope it's a little cooler and a little more pleasant wherever you may be. Um, but uh, yeah, this this place is not without its charms, but the heat is 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 definitely a drawback this time of year. But it's nice to be back. It's nice to be alive. Anyhow, anyhow, um, we have been talking. We just got into husband number one last week. Now, just to bring us back up to speed, what it is we're talking about. We're in the chapter to wives. And on vision, a vision for you, we frequently skip these chapters. And that's more the reason why I do want to go into them, because there is a lot of wealth of knowledge, just a wealth of things in these chapters that is there for the taking if we look at these things. And to one degree or another, whether it was a parent whether it was us, whether it was a sibling, um, uh, whatever that may be, there is a degree of dysfunction. There is a degree of uh, disquiet when any parent or any member of a family is addicted. Uh, and there are sometimes, not sometimes, there are usually problems when a family, there is no addiction in there. Everybody has their different challenges. So whether you're addicted or you're not addicted, uh, the challenges may be different. The situations may be a little bit different, but I think to one degree or another, one of the things that makes up every family that has ever existed and will ever exist is the entrance of human beings into that equation. And as human beings, we always, not frequently, not most of the time, we always bring in our fallible humanity, our fallible humanity into any family, workplace, group, 
uh, social circle. We bring our humanity and we are so full of fear and insecurity and doubt and guilt and shame and remorse and anger and all these various things that make up the human being. And as humans, as I say, we are going to bring in a modicum of our humanity into any equation that we step into. And this is something that we know to be a fact. We have examined husband number one, who may not be an alcoholic. He may be only a heavy drinker. His drinking is constant, or it may be heavy only on certain occasions. Maybe he spends a little too much time drinking, a little much too much money on drinking. But he is someone that can sort of snap back into reality and put the stuff away when the situation does arise, when it becomes necessary. But we're going to start on page 109. And on page 109, we are going to look at husband number two. And we're going to start with husband number two. And we're going to look at him. And if you remember, um, what I have said very, very often is this. Now, this is my opinion. This is not verifiable in the big book. So when I give you my opinion, you are almost invited to ignore it. But I'm going to give you my opinion because I have observed this for 44 years. For 44 years, I have been a good observer of addictive behavior. Now, I am not an alcoholic, but I did attend Alcoholics Anonymous meetings during the nine years that I lived in Eugene, Oregon, because in Eugene, Oregon, this just in, they don't have OA there. There's no such thing. So Eugene is a small town. It's a college town. They don't have, o they may have it now. I've been out of there for a long time, but they didn't have OA when I was there. So I went to the new freedom group on Coburg Road and I got abstinent in Eugene in 1998. And I owe them a tremendous debt of gratitude the new freedom group of Alcoholics Anonymous in Eugene, Oregon, not only helped me get abstinent, but they knew my secret. They knew that I was not an alcoholic and they nurtured me and loved me to the best of their ability. They really loved on me and they included me in all of their intensive big book studies. There was a guy there by the name of Les Downs, who I don't think is anywhere with us anymore. I think he's at that big meeting in the sky. And he was a tremendous big book guy, Les Downs. I owe him a lot. And a lot of the wisdom that I acquired over the years came from less and came from that group. But anyway, I've had a long time of observing addictive behavior in food and in alcohol. I don't have drug addiction in my life. I don't have gambling or anything like I'm not really a gambler. I'm not a drug addict or anything like that. But this is what I've come to as a conclusion. And again, I want to predicate by saying you are welcome to ignore this because I'm giving you my opinion. I believe very strongly, I believe this, that uh, compulsive overeating is a spectrum disorder. 
And when I say a spectrum disorder, what I mean specifically is this. We are affected identically in that we have the physical allergy and we have the twist of the mind that couples with the mental blank spot. In other words, we have a mind that focuses in in an unnatural way on the ease and comfort that comes instantly by eating certain foods. And we are driven to eat those foods in search of relief from the intenable pain of not eating those foods. And so we call that the mental twist. Most people don't have that. Only about one in 10 have that. And we also have within the mental twist, we have a uh, part of our brain called the mental blank spot. What is the mental blank spot? It forgets that I was disgraced by eating Chips Ahoy cookies. I was disgraced by eating candy. I was fatter and fatter and more diarrhea and more gas and more embarrassing moments of my life. And yet I can look at milk duds, I can look at ice cream and think, well, this time it won't hurt me. And we know that that's not true. And once I eat those things, for me, for me, not for you, for me, for me, it's sugar, um, white flour, anything fried, anything, you know, like that is just not going to work for me. It just will not work for me. So when I eat these things, I have an unnatural physical reaction that Dr. Silkworth called the allergy of the body or the craving. What does he mean by that? He means that in a normal body, a normal person's body, I have a friend and he lives here in, he lives in Tempe, actually, he's in San Diego now, but I'll just use him as an example. When he eats uh, uh, McDonald's fries, just to take that as an example. He seldom can finish the order of French fries that he gets because once he has three, four, five French fries, he's done. And the more French fries he eats, the less French fries he wants. In my body, the more of those French fries I eat, the more I want. And the more I want, the more I eat, and it is endless. There's no end to it. And so that is the allergy of the body or the craving. Now, given that we are all affected identically, this is my observation, my opinion, you're free to ignore it. We are not affected equally. In other words, some of you, if unchecked, will reach 300 pounds, 400 pounds, and beyond. Some of you never would. Some of you would settle in to a range of, of weight, and that would be it. That would be as bad as it would get. So we are affected identically, we are not affected equally. And, and the anorexic would be the same kind of the same kind of spectrum. Some anorexics would get this thin. Other anorexics would die from their anorexia. And bulimia, the same thing. I can't count the number of people, mostly women, but mostly women, 
I can't count the number of people that I have known in OA that have destroyed their esophagus because of their bulimia. I can't even count the number of people that I know that are in that category. And yet there are some bulimics that are afflicted with this illness and they will never get to that point. So I believe that we are afflicted equally identically, excuse me, identically, but we are not afflicted equally. And does that mean that we're going to compare and despair? No, because here's what I do know. None of you came in here because things went well for you. You came in here because things did not go well for you. Things did not happen. So you didn't come in here on a roll. You came in here because things were just not going your way. Life was just beyond it was so painful, you couldn't bear this anymore. And in spite of your efforts not to come in here, you had to come in because you had to try something because you were dying the way you were. Okay. So with that in mind, let's examine husband number two on page 109. And so, and just to answer the messages that I keep seeing is that's Tribune Tower that I'm pointing at. Some of you are asking, where is that? That's in downtown Chicago on the 400 North block, uh, 400 North built, the 400 North block of Michigan Avenue. See, I knew I'd get it out eventually. And that's Tribune Tower. Very, very special place. Gothic architecture. It was the home of the Chicago Tribune from 1847 up until about 2021, 22, something like that. And there are stones on that building from the pyramids, from the wall, Great Wall of China, and from, you know, the, the Suez Canal and from different things all around the world. And you can't see them in the picture, but they're on there. But so just to answer that for you, that is Tribune Tower. It's one of the most iconic buildings on this in the skyline of Chicago. It's a very, if you if you lived in Chicago or you've been to Chicago or you've seen movies and or TV shows, they will always show you Tribune Tower, just like the Wrigley Building and some of the other ones. Okay, page 109, 109, husband number two. Your husband is showing lack of control for he is unable to stay on the water wagon even when he wants to. He often gets entirely out of hand when drinking. Now make note of that sentence because we're going to come back to that. Remember husband number one, he may be only a heavy drinker. We're not, we're not really sure that he's an alcoholic, but by all indications, he's got a little bit of a problem. And some of you are like me. I have a friend, particularly one that comes to mind, he likes his food. Not the same friend I just described to you. Very different person. <clears throat> he likes his food. And if we go to a buffet together, he can keep with me right stride for stride at any buffet you can name. However, here's the difference. On the way home from the buffet, I will be eating candy from a convenience store. And he, let's see, today's Saturday, he won't think about eating until Tuesday. He is just not as, he's not a compulsive overeater. So he's going to eat 
at the buffet and he isn't going to think about food probably till Tuesday, breakfast or lunch. But Sunday and Monday, he isn't going to touch one morsel of food. Okay. Not the same friend. I have a few, but this is a different guy. Okay. So he gets entirely out of hand when drinking. So he probably has the physical allergy. Let's see. He admits this is true, but is positive. He will do better. And isn't this the song that we sang for decades of our life? I'm going to do better. I'm going to not eat that. I'm going to eat that. And yet every night, I will hear one of you or many of you sharing how your car almost went by itself into the drive-thru. It almost went by itself into the fast food. It almost went by itself into the whatever so you could get the food that you had just sworn to God. You had just sworn to God that you were not going to eat today. And yet, there you are doing it again. So with that in mind, he has begun to try with or without your cooperation, various means of moderating or staying dry. We can put that in our terms by going on a diet. When they try to stay dry, that means that is equivalent to us going on a diet. And if you've ever seen a dry drunk, not one that's in recovery, but one, a drunk who's not drinking, but not working steps. Oh my God, be careful, tread lightly because they are angry dudes. They are angry ladies and they're frustrated and their, their, their tempers are, they have a very short fuse because they're not drinking yet. They're not in recovery. They're just dry drunk or what we would call dieting with group support. Okay. He, maybe he is beginning to lose his friends. People are starting to run away from him. His business may suffer somewhat. You know, you've seen that if you've ever seen the movie, uh, the days of wine and roses in the movie, the character who is one, there's two alcoholics in the movie. There's the husband and the wife and he loses his job. He keeps getting demoted. And in one of the scenes of the movie, the days of wine and roses, he's the, the guy that's drunk played by Jack Lemon says to the other character, I understand. And the guy is leaving his office and says under his breath, I hope you do because eventually he gets fired from his job and he was very successful at his job, but there's only so much some of the companies can do with a drunk. There's only so much people can do to tolerate an alcoholic or to tolerate a compulsive overeater because there's just so much more to this than just the consumption of food. It's the anger, it's the fear, it's the doubt, the guilt, the shame, the remorse, the ego-driven madness that we live in as active addicts that is very difficult for other people to handle. It's just very, very difficult for them to handle. I was very lucky in that my friends, a lot of them stuck with me through thick and thin. I don't know what I did to be so blessed, but I was, I was very, very lucky. His business may suffer somewhat. He is worried at times and is becoming aware that he cannot drink like other people. Let's stop right there. 
You remember what Bill Wilson said in Bill's story? He says, I had sworn off forever. I was through. I could not eat. I could not take as much as one drink. We become aware of these things. We are aware that we can't eat uh, pizza. We can't eat different you know, things. So I know I can't eat those things. And every single time I eat them, I become uncontrollable. And yet, there I am doing it yet again. And that is, we have a name for that kind of behavior. It begins with an I and ends with a Y, and it's called insanity. It is absolute insanity that I would be sitting anywhere eating cookies, eating candy, eating pizza, whatever that might be, what business would I have eating those commodities knowing the decades of my life that I flushed down the toilet in search of something that was not there? It was not in the food. I've opened thousands and thousands of wrappers of Hostess cupcakes and Hostess Twinkies. I never found the happiness that I found in the big book, in the fellowship, in God. God did for me what candy and cookies could never have done for me. And if you look at my life today, now I may not be a millionaire, a zillionaire, a gazillionaire, whatever it is, but I have a life that's worth living. I have a life that includes many things and many people and many um, situations that are enviable, which is the, the dream that I have dreamed for so long in my life. And in many areas of my life, I'm there. I didn't get there by eating the food. I got there by holding God's hands. And when I held God's hand, he showed me where he wanted me to go, what he wanted me to do, and what he didn't want me to do. And he held my hand like I was a toddler, a little baby toddler. And he took me by the hand. I remember when I was in second grade, I was crying. My mom bought me a Bonanza lunchbox. If you're old enough to remember Bonanza on TV. And I was starting day camp. And my mom bought me a Bonanza lunchbox and it had a Bonanza thermos bottle. And I was extremely upset and I wanted a Superman lunchbox and a Superman thermos. So my dad took me by the hand. I was in I was just going, I was going to go into second grade that September. I had just finished first grade. So he, we went to the drugstore and he exchanged the, the Bonanza lunchbox and the thermos for a Superman lunchbox and thermos. And he let me carry my Superman lunchbox home in my other hand. But he held my hand the whole time, the whole way. And God does the same thing. The, the, the metaphor of my dad, my dad was an immigrant, but he understood I was not happy. I was very upset. But my, my he took me to Rosen's drugstore and he got me what I wanted. Well, God is my heavenly father. He is the father and I am his child. He is the principal. I am his agent. He takes me by the hand every day. 
And I put my hand in his and together we do what we could never, what I could never do alone. And so, so many of the dreams that come about as the result of letting God guide my life rather than going off half cocked. And one of my biggest things is selfishness. You know, I want what I want, but I, there's more with me. I want it now. You know, I'm very impatient. I get impatient. Well, I've learned in programming, God was the only one that could teach this to me. Sometimes things have a gestation period. Sometimes things have a period of gestation, of maturation that cannot be ignored. And just because I want something doesn't mean that it is in my best interest to have it right this second. I, I learned how to wait for things. And that is just so unnatural to me. Not only do I want what I want, if I don't get it, I want everybody dead. You know, line them up and kill everybody. You know, that's just, that's my tempestuous ego, you know, and I can't live that way and stay out of the food because there is a fact that is undeniable that when I consume milk duds, I am calm. I am happy. I am satisfied. I am happy because milk duds did for me what I could not find in any other earthly commodity. They slowed my impatience. They sated my tempestuous ego and they gave me what Dr. Silkworth calls the effect. And that effect is what I was chasing my whole life. That sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly by eating those cookies, candies, pizza, fries, whatever that might be. Or Saturday night, I'd have my threesome, beautiful threesome, me, little Debbie and Sarah Lee. So if I'm with little Debbie and Sarah Lee on a Saturday night, you know, the tears stop flowing that I didn't have a date or the tears would stop flowing about all these various things because little Debbie and Sarah Lee could give me something I never found anywhere else until I searched for it in the recovery and God showed me where to find him. He showed me again and again that if I'm looking for God, I will always find him in the face of one of his children. That when I reach out of myself and I reach out by phone or I reach out in person or I reach out on Zoom, I will find that face of God and the milk duds and the cookies and the ice cream are the furthest thing from my mind. And when they become the furthest thing from my mind, they become the furthest thing from my body. 
and I have lost a little over 500 pounds and I'm alive and my weight is approved of by the cardiologist. And they said, yes, you're doing great. Your heart rate is great. Your, your, your blood is fine and you're a little anemic. We're gonna just keep our eye on that. But other than that, we're doing good. I got these fakakta allergies. I've laid in a supply of Nasonex. I'm able to function this morning and on we go with life. I have a fatal disease. So do you ostensibly. You have a fatal disease. I have a fatal disease and it gets worse every day. No matter what we do, the disease gets worse every day because the disease is not just permanent, it is progressive. And if untreated, it is always fatal. And what do we learn in chapter three? We learn that we have an illness that only a spiritual experience will conquer. Only a spiritual experience, not a spiritual experience or this, or a spiritual experience or that. We have an illness Last paragraph of chapter three, we have an illness that only a spiritual experience will conquer. Now, I'll let you in on a secret. I've never had a spiritual experience. I've never had one. A spiritual experience is sudden, quick, and profound. I've had a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. What is the difference? A spiritual awakening is slow. And a spiritual experience is very fast. You'd think with me being so impatient that I would have a spiritual experience. That is not what God gave me. Once again, he keeps showing me, if you'll just let me handle the pace of your life and handle everything about your life, you'll get the Superman lunchbox Rev and the Superman thermos with him going flying on the thermos, which is what I wanted, which is exactly what I wanted. And instead of the Bonanza lunchbox with the Bonanza thermos, you can have the Superman. Now, I'll let you in on another secret. Sometimes I don't know what I want. Sometimes I'm unclear as to what I want. And that's the time for me to double, triple, and quadruple my efforts to give my life and my will over to God as I understand him so that he can be the director and I can be the player. He is the father. I am the child. He is the principal. I am his agent. Because sometimes when I don't know what I want, I make really bad decisions. And sometimes when I have very tough decisions to make, I go haywire and I make no decision except to destroy my life. Because decision making is hard for me. I bet it's hard for some of you too. That's why every morning in step 11, we talk about that right away. It says upon awakening. And what is the second paragraph that we're going to, we're going to talk about decisions and thoughts and foolish thoughts, right? Because I still have an ego and my ego resurrects itself gorgeously. If every organ of my body resurrected itself as beautifully as my ego, I would live to be about 9,000 years old. So would you. Because the ego is resurrects itself just beautifully too bad for us. But 
Really not, because what it does is it makes us work our program all the harder so we can get closer and closer and closer to God. And we are when we get closer to God, we get further and further away from all of the commodities, ice cream, milk duds, pizza, whatever. We get further away from the commodities that will destroy our lives because there is no place to be that is better than close to our higher power. And there's no place better. Chuck Chamberlain, Chuck C said, there's really only one character defect. And that character defect is conscious separation. I got to blow my nose again. Sorry. <laughs> conscious. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay. Conscious. There's only one character defect. Conscious separation from God. And there's only one solution, and that is conscious attachment to God. Whether you call it higher power, whether you call it God, Buddha, Israel, Jesus, Muhammad, great spirit, great outdoors, Lake Michigan, whatever it is that floats your boat, it does not make a difference. It's your concept your conception, not mine, not mine, or nor anyone else's, not your sponsors, not anyone's. It's your conception of God. So as we're reading through husband number two, which we'll get back to in a second, we're going to look at some of the manifestations of being separated from God. And let's do that right now. Okay. He sometimes drinks in the morning and through the day also. So here he is. He's husband number two. He's more serious than husband number one, who may or may not be an alcoholic. He may just be a heavy drinker, but he is nervous. It says here he drinks through the day also to hold his nervousness in check. Now, we know that milk duds and McDonald's fries and whatever are not a solution to our nervousness. Yet, if untethered from recovery, we will go to those solutions because they are the ones we know the best and they are the ones that work. We eat ice cream and boy, you you just can't bother me. You almost cannot hurt my feelings. When I'm loaded up on Rocky Road, man, oh man, I'm not even hearing what you're saying. And I probably couldn't care less what you said or what you did because I've got Rocky Road and I don't need anything else in that moment. But what I need really is God. What I need really is conscious contact conscious closeness to my higher power. Does abstinence help me? Yes. But is abstinence the most important thing in my life without exception? Absolutely not. You know, let, let this be on the record. Abstinence is not the most important thing in my life without exception. The most important thing in my life without exception is to be consciously close to my higher power. 
on page 45, the thesis line of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it simply says, the main object of this book is to help you find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. It does not say that the most that the main object of this book is to keep you on on an abstinent food plan. An abstinent food plan to me is like English 101. I don't know where anybody else goes to school or went to school. I went to Roosevelt University, which is downtown Chicago. And when I went to Roosevelt University and I was a freshman there, I graduated high school in 1972 and I was a freshman in college uh, the following fall. And they said, well, you got to take English 101. You got to take this. You got to take that. And then they talked to me about math. And I said, I don't think I feel very good. More math? Come on. I just took math in high school. They said, you got to take more math. And then somebody had to do an intervention because I was going to try to swallow strychnine. But the bottom line is, is that I had to take English 101. If I didn't pass English 101 and English 102, I could not get a degree. And I have it. Okay, but was English 101 and English 102 the most important reason why I went to school? No, no, it wasn't. No, but it had to be done. It was like a prerequisite for your degree. Well, abstinence is exactly the same thing. It's a prerequisite. Without abstinence, you cannot get your, you cannot have a spiritual awakening. People that are loaded to the guttles with ice cream don't have spiritual awakenings and they don't need one because the ice cream is doing for them what they could not do for themselves. It's, <coughs> It's giving me the effect. So I want that spiritual awakening. And so I read that sentence on page 45. It says the main object of this book is to help you find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. Well, if it says in the big book that that's the main object of this book, then I take that to mean that that's the main object of my life. So the main object of my life is to find a power greater than myself, which will solve my problem. And I work on that every day. I do the best I can every day to experience things which will draw me closer to God, higher power, Lake Michigan, great outdoors, group of drunks, whatever seems to work for you. So I am challenged every day to seek God more and more. So let's take a look at husband number two once again. He is remorseful. I was always remorseful after going on these food binges, after serious drinking bouts, and tells you he wants to stop. That sounds like me. But when he gets over the spree, he begins to think once more how he can drink moderately next time. Boy, I was not born until 1954. And this book was written in 37 and 38. It was published on April the 10th, 1939. I don't know how they wrote a book about me when I hadn't been born yet, but it seems they wrote this book about Harlan uh, in Chicago, well before I was born. I don't know if my mom or somebody tipped them off 
as to what I was exactly going to be like once I was born. And I've told you this, this is exactly my lunacy. I will be eating something. I'm sick to my stomach. I'm, I can't fit in my pants. My stomach is honking the horn of my car. I cannot function. I, my life is in a shambles. And then there I am eating that commodity yet again. Starts with an I, ends in a Y, and the word is insanity. Insanity. That is what I have. I have a form of insanity, compulsive overeating. And it says in chapter three, harsh word, but isn't it true? And the word that he's referring to is this word insanity. Okay. Now, we think this person is in danger. Oh my God, there's the understatement of the year. There's the understatement of the year that I was in danger of death. Forget about disappointment. Forget about the litany of things that I could tell you that I missed out on and embarrassed and denigrated. I forget about that stuff. I am in danger, danger of dying. And doctors have been signing my death warrant from the time I was a kid. They would scream and yell at my mother. Virginia was my mother's name. Virginia, he's not going to live long. Virginia, he's going to die. Virginia, he's going to become a diabetic like you. And they would scream and yell at my mom and at my dad and at me. You know, I went to the doctor last Monday when I got, I got back to Arizona last Sunday. Of course, my flight was delayed again an hour. Every freaking flight that I take now is delayed or canceled. What the hell is going on? I don't know, but something needs to change. But anyway, we're going to cover that another another session. But anyway, it's a stickler in my head. I just can't get over it. But anyway, bottom line is I got back to Arizona and then I went to the cardiologist the next day and everything, there was no screaming. There was no yelling. There was no nothing. I didn't have to explain myself. I didn't have to fight my way out of a corner to, to, to you know, establish something in, in, in the way of a lie. Because everything was out there. And the first thing they do is weigh you. I was down three pounds from this from the appointment that I had in January. So I'm continuing to lose. I'm not losing at the clip I'd like. I mean, I was born, I was five pounds, 11 and a half ounces on May 24th, 1954. I want to be five pounds, 11 and a half ounces. I want to be back to my birth weight, you know, but that's not realistic. That's not very realistic at this point. But, you know, that's where I want to be. But, you know, it's not going to happen. But I am continuing to lose. So I'm very grateful for that. Let's continue. It says here, these are the earmarks of a real alcoholic. Stop right there. You see these things we've been talking about, guys? Wants to stop, can't. Starts. Gets sick, says he's not going to do this anymore. Then justifies that this time it's going to be okay. I may be beyond husband number two, but I got to tell you something. He sure sounds like me. And it says here, these are the earmarks of a real alcoholic. Perhaps he can still tend to business fairly well. I could not. 
He has by no means ruined everything I did. As we say among ourselves, he wants to want to stop. He wants to want to stop. Let's go to husband number three. And let's see the progression of this disease. Let's see where we go with husband number three. This husband, I'm at the bottom of 109. I'm at the bottom of 109. This husband has gone much further than husband number two, much further, not a little further, a lot further. Though once like number two, he became worse. Let's remember three character, the three traits of the, 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 the two traits of the disease, physical allergy, twist of the mind coupled with the mental blank spot. But let's remember that the disease is permanent, progressive, and if untreated, it is fatal. My friend Craig in Oklahoma says permanent, progressive, and fatal. Permanent, progressive, and fatal. His friends have slipped away. I was very lucky. Some did, most did not. His home is near wreck. My life was near wreck. My home was near wreck. Everything was near wreck. And he cannot hold a position. Maybe the doctor has been called in and the weary round of sanitariums and hospitals has begun. The rounds of dieting and tops and Weight Watchers and all these various things. There was no way that was going to get through to me. He admits he cannot drink like other people, but does not see why. I could not see why. Why is it that other people can split a hamburger? Why can they split a hamburger and neither one of them finishes their half and I could eat nine of them? How is that possible? What the F is wrong with me? And I got very angry at God. I got very, very angry at God because I knew something was very wrong. I didn't know what was wrong. I didn't know how to help myself. Obviously, I didn't know how to help myself. I didn't know what to do about it, but I knew there was something wrong. He clings to the notion that he will yet find a way to do so. He may have yet, he may have come to the point where he desperately wants to stop, but cannot. I got to that point for sure. His case presents additional questions, which we shall try to answer for you. He can be quite, you can be quite hopeful of a situation like this. Now, the reason you can be very hopeful of, of husband number three and four is because they're going to hit a bottom. They're going to hit a bottom. And hopefully once they hit that bottom, they're going to, to, to get up. Because once you've hit the bottom, you really have only one, one way to go, and that's up. Now, some of you may ask me in the questions and answers, how do I know I've hit a bottom? You can decide that where you are is a bottom and stop digging. I used to go to the Lincoln Park Alano Club. And they had great speakers there. And one of the speakers that they had there was Wino Joe Leaf. He's dead now. He's been dead for 20 years, for God's sakes. Maybe 30 years he'd been dead. But he was a great speaker. And he was from South Texas. 
and he'd he'd lay out there in those cornfields and he'd drink wine and he he had his own explanation for who was an alcoholic and who was not. He'd say, "You we don't need those damn questions in the thing. Well, I'll give you some questions. Has the roof of your mouth ever been sunburned while drinking?" And he says, "If it was, you're probably an alcoholic." And then he'd say, have you ever been arrested for drunk driving from the back seat of someone else's car? If you have, you're probably an alcoholic. And this is my favorite one. He'd said, have you ever been arrested for drunk and disorderly while in jail? He says, if you have, you're probably an alcoholic. And he was so vulgar. That's why you don't see a lot of tapes of him because they wouldn't, you know, in those days we had a sign in the room and it said lack of uh, profanity offends no one. And we were pretty sensitive, but he'd get up there and every other word was a four letter word with him. He didn't give no mind to that. He didn't care about that. And he'd say, if you've ever, you know, I'm cleaning it up for you, but he, if you've ever been arrested for drunk and disorderly while in jail, you're probably an alcoholic. But he had a good saying and he'd say uh, something about if you want to know where your bottom is, then stop digging. Just stop digging and you're going to be okay. And that's what he would say. And I never forgot. It was a freezing cold Saturday. We were there at the Lincoln Park Alano Club. It's on Dickens and uh, in Lincoln Park in uh, Chicago, uh, Webster. And it was, oh, they had such great speakers there. I have a, a place right here called the North Scottsdale Fellowship Club. And three Saturdays a month, they bring in speakers from out of town and stuff. There's some really good speakers, right? You know, just two blocks from my house. But anyway, let's do husband number four real quick. And then we'll, we'll, okay. Husband number four, I'm on page 110. I got a little sidetrack this week. I don't know why. Maybe it's the heat that affected my brain. Husband number four, you may have a husband of you whom you completely despair. That was me. He has been placed in one institution after another. He is violent or appears definitely insane when drunk. Sometimes he drinks on the way home from the hospital. Perhaps he has had delirium tremens, the shaking. Doctors may shake their heads and advise you to have him committed. Remember Bill Wilson went into the town's hospital for the second time and Lois was told to give him over to an insane asylum because there was nothing that could be done for him. Maybe you have already been obliged to put him away. This picture may not be as dark as it looks. Many of our husbands were just as far gone, yet they got well. Very important. And that is sometimes we have to remember that the power of God runs deep and the power of God is not measurable in human terms. And that if I can walk among you and I am recovered today, then I have to think anything is possible. And that doesn't go just for me. There are many of you 150 of you here, and there are many of you that have stories that are unbelievable, and yet here you are 
seeking recovery, not compulsively overeating, doing your steps, doing what you need to do, and passing this recovery to other people. How wonderful are you? How wonderful is your story of redemption? And your story of redemption will save countless lives. Your story of redemption is exactly what God needs to save someone else's life. In God's hands, your dark past may be the greatest asset he has. Cling to the thought that in God's hands that this is true. Now let's go back to husband number one. I'm on page 110. We don't have much time left. Oddly enough, he is often difficult to deal with. He enjoys drinking. It stirs his imagination. His friends feel closer over a highball. Now, when you see this highball, remember, when you think I shouldn't mention specific foods, the, the big book mentions highball, ale, beer, whiskey, wine. It mentions, uh, 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 what do you call it? Gin mentions all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff. Perhaps you, perhaps you enjoy drinking with him yourself when he doesn't go too far. You have passed happy evenings together, chatting and drinking before your fire. Perhaps you both like parties, which would be dull without liquor. We have enjoyed such evenings ourselves. We have had a good time. We know all about liquor as a social lubricant. Some, but not all of us, think it has its advantages when reasonably used. We, you know, most people serve food at their parties. I don't have to partake in it. I don't have to, just because you're serving whatever doesn't mean I have to eat it. I don't. I don't have to. It it has a different connotation to me than it would to a normal eater. I'm at the top of 111. The first principle of success is that you should never be angry. That's a tough order to follow. Even though your husband becomes unbearable and you have to leave him temporarily, you should if you can without rancor. Rancor just means anger. Patience and good temper are most necessary. Our next thought is that you should never tell him what he must do about his drinking. We don't like to be told what to do now, do we? We just, you know, Bill Wilson, he knew at the end of his life, he said, we are <laughs> immature, sensitive, perfectionistic rebels. We are immature, perfectionistic, sensitive rebels, aren't we? And we just don't like being told what to do, but we like telling other people what to do now, don't we? We enjoy that, <laughs> okay? We really enjoy that. If he gets the idea that you are a nag or a killjoy, your chance of accomplishing anything useful may be zero. Good excuse. Oh, she's nagging me. He's nagging me. He will use that as an excuse to drink more. He will tell you he is misunderstood. Poor me. <laughs> poor me. This may lead to lonely evenings for you. He may seek someone else to console him, not always another man. Well, I don't know. I've never done that. But the bottom line is, is that that does happen. Be determined that your husband's drinking is not going to spoil your relations with your children or your friends. 
They need your companionship and your help. It is possible to have a full and useful life through your, though your husband continues to drink. We know women who are unafraid, even happy under these conditions. Do not set your heart on reforming your husband. You may be unable to do so no matter how hard you try. We cannot control another person. We are sure that this would be the right thing for them. I go through it too, I understand. I know the answer and I'm going to tell you what to do. And I'm going to, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. It just does not work that way. And it's probably good that it does not. You know, there's really only one voice that I ever listened to, and that was my own. You have to bring me to a certain conclusion. And when you bring me to a conclusion, I will listen to my own voice saying, they're right. Stop this. This is crap. This is garbage. Stop doing this. Stop saying this. Stop thinking this. Stop whatever that may be. And that's why I need sponsorship. That's why I need the input of other people. I get input from people other than my sponsor, for God's sakes. People, you know, talk to me all the time. And, you know, things get through to my brain. Certain things do. Certain things don't. But that is really the only voice I listen to is mine, even though you think you're listening to someone else. When they can convince you, though, that something is in your best interest, ultimately it's your own voice, your own conscience that you will listen to. So there is a, a, a situation where we do need input from other people. God most frequently communicates with me through his children. I find him in his children and he finds me through his children. That's the magic of this. That's the magic. One more paragraph and then we'll go to questions. We know these suggestions are sometimes difficult to follow, but you will save many a heartbreak if you can succeed in observing them. Your husband may come to appreciate your reasonableness and patience. This may lay the groundwork for a friendly talk about his alcoholic problem. Try to have him bring up the subject himself. Be sure you are not critical during such a discussion. Attempt instead to put yourself in his place. Let him see that you want to be helpful rather than critical. That's a very hard thing to do. This is before Al-Anon was formed. Al-Anon came along in 1950, which was 11 years after the big book was published. But, you know, the question of the Al-Anon still remains in most cases if you loved me enough, why can't you stop drinking? You tell me that you love me. You tell me that you care about me. And yet there you are, drunk as a, as a skunk yet again. And the bottom line is, this is a question that many of you have asked. Maybe you asked it about a parent. Maybe you asked it about a spouse, a lover, a sibling, a friend. Uh, a child, you know, you've asked it, but you've definitely asked it. And we are, we are well-intentioned, but the truth is we, we, it tells us not to have these discussions with rancor, but that's a very hard thing to do. So this is something that we can work toward 
And if we get there, we get there, but we can only do the best we can with what we have, okay? We can only do the best we can with what we have. All right, I am going to throw it back. But before I throw it back, don't jump the gun. Don't jump the gun. Before I throw it back, I just want to remind you guys of a few things. Number one, numeral uno. I want 